really, I think the reason, man, why I, I felt like I was an attack from the enemy last night was just, I think maybe it has to do with the message that I have to come give you today. Because I want to share with you the gospel. I want to share with you the simplicity of the gospel. And, uh, and I think this story does it very, very well. It also shows the heart of Jesus like few stories do. And so we're going to begin in Mark chapter 5 this morning. If you've got your Bibles, this is where you start to turn from them. You open your paper Bible. If you're old school like me, I got paper Bibles. Uh, I do use a digital Bible when I'm studying a little bit, but I like the paper Bibles. But if you've got your digital Bible, turn it on now. So this story is like hugely uh, well documented <clears throat> and one that I've heard all kinds of preached over the years. Uh, but this morning, I'd like to touch on a few things that will be worth exploring on your own time. And I just want to like simply remind you of how beautiful the gospel of Jesus Christ is and remind you why they call it the good news. I want to remind you why they call it the good news. Mark chapter 5, and we're just going to be in the first 20 verses. And I'm going to read them. I'm going to read them. So we're just going to go through this. It'll take a little bit, but it's, it's worth it. It's worth it. Mark 5, verse 1. We'll start there. We're going to read to verse 20. So they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrist and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night he wandered amongst the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him and he ran to meet him and he bowed low before him. And with a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, Come out of the man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus demanded, What is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this man. Then the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the spirit begged. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission. The evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned into the water. The herdsmen fled to the nearby town and surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who'd been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Then those who had seen what happened told others about the demon-possessed man and pigs, and the crowd began pleading with Jesus to, to go away and leave them alone. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus said, no, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord's done for you and how merciful he's been. And so the man started off to visit the ten towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. Now, what a very ni uh, what's very nice for us is how we pick up this whole event. It, it happens right as they arrive on the other side of the lake. If you remember last week, we had been in the lake. 
we were talking about storms and how the storms rose up and they literally thought they were going to die and how in the midst of the storm, Jesus woke up and supernaturally calmed everything. And I remind us of this event to remind us that uh, rarely in, in life or in ministry or in anything else, this is like a truth you already know, it's never easy. It's never easy. Jesus and the disciples often go from dealing with storms on the sea to dealing with demon-possessed people on land. From crisis to crisis, they're having to learn to deal with one thing after another. Nothing can be simple, right, when walking with Jesus. There's no simple moment. It's if it in the Pharisees calling them out. It's somebody tugging on the hem of his garment. If it's, it's one thing after another, it's always crisis after crisis. And this isn't the moral of the story. But listen, can I tell you right now, if you've got a little pen or something, it would be wise right here to take a note of this because we're going to come back to it later. So let's deal with this man running up to them. They literally just got there and this guy comes running up. I mean, they just like said, I just got here. I can't even take a breath, right? You ever been like that? Where you just like, get, like I, I just got home. Stop, right? Like when the kids come up, like, hey, there's no food in the house. No, this is not working. Da, 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 da. Stop. I will sit. Like when we go home after a Sunday, I'm going to tell you the first thing that happened. I don't want to hear a word. I'm taking my shoes off. I'm sitting on this chair. Then you can speak, <laughs> right? I just got here. I just got here. I don't hear nothing. Let me, right? But no, this guy, he comes running up. His disposition isn't favorable, right? He's been cutting himself and he's been hurting himself. He bears the scars from having been shackled and chained up. He's dirty and grimy because he's been living in, cave, in not just caves, but in graves, people's graves. I don't know if you know this, but they bury people in there. He's literally been living with the dead. His voice is hoarse. From howling like a dog at all times of the night. He's tortured. I don't, can you picture him? I mean, what do you do with a man like this? He's crazy. Yet it's a bit more serious, isn't it, right? Today, this man, we just lock him away, right? We've come a long way in restraint technology, right? We got shackles that don't break. We're also a society that looks at everything without spiritual significance. So for us, we would have never said this man was possessed. We would simply have called him clinically insane, maybe even multiple personality disorder. And while there might be some people with a, a legitimate clinical issues, spiritual warfare is absolutely real. And we face an enemy that is happy to interfere with our lives and to lead us into sleeping with the dead before we're actually even dead. Still, this isn't also the moral of the story. Again, if, if you're taking notes, you might want to put a little asterisk right here because we're going to come back to it. But now in the story, a conversation now begins with the demons inside this man and Jesus. It's a very strange moment. The demons recognize Jesus. And immediately they begin to beg for mercy. Jesus just asks their name. The reply makes us shudder, right? I mean, it's scary. One, de one demon is pretty terrifying. Come on. Legions of them are absolutely horrifying. Like, it was, I think he's got a demon. Well, how about if he's got 10,000? 
right? Jesus dispenses the demons into a herd of of about 2,000 pigs, which immediately run off a cliff and drown in the water below. And, and, And one more to take note of this also, because this isn't the main focus of the story either. But it's something where we're going to come back to. And it's also where the good news begins. Those that were tending the pigs, they saw what happened to the herd of pigs and they fled into the nearby towns and began to tell others about what they saw. Always happens when Jesus starts to move. Well, what did they see? They saw a wild man who'd been marred and scarred by self-inflicted cuts and having been shackled. He was dirty due to living in graves, speaking in the third person because he's demon-possessed. He's alone because no one can help him. No one but Jesus. Jesus sees the man inside. His creation. And remembers the good news. The same one he spoke when he rolled out Isaiah's scroll. That the spirit of the Lord is upon me. For he has anointed me to bring the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the captives be released that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And as Jesus looks to him, he speaks with authority to the demons, and they flee, and the man that was once held captive by legions of demons is now become whole. And by the time the people rush out to see the miracle, they see the wild man now fully clothed and perfectly sane, according to the Scriptures. It's a happy story. I mean, it really is. We as Christians should love this and live for this moment. Hands down. This would be the one thing we live for all the time. We're not going to go hang out on Halloween night just to hand out candy and have a good time. No, we hope that in our loving people, it will draw them closer to Jesus. And those who are captured by the things of this world or the lust or the love of this world will be brought out of darkness and into light. That's our hope. We don't, we don't go do that just to participate with Halloween, just to participate with these things. It's not just for the sake of enjoying and having a good time, although that's a, a wonderful benefit that will happen when we fellowship together. But we do it in the hopes that maybe we'll love someone to Christ. This is the good news. It's the moment of new birth in the kingdom, right? Where Jesus is exalted, the angels are singing, and a new brother or sister in Christ is born. Yet that isn't the reaction of the crowd. The scriptures say they were all afraid and that they pled with Jesus, go away and leave them alone. They pled that, just go away, leave us alone. Now this would seem odd. I wonder if because we're followers of Christ, which is also uh, uh, to say we are in love with Christ and enamored with Christ, that we're oblivious to the other details that happen when people are set free. Right? Because we're so caught up in like, we don't even care about all the other stuff. We're like, somebody came to the kingdom, awesome. Right? But we don't think about all the other things that are taking place for that to happen. Maybe if we go back and start to relook at the details that we just kind of glanced over here. Just to get to the point we're at. Maybe we should look back at the fact that walking with Jesus or in traveling with Jesus, we find ourselves in one problem after another. Man, come on. We got to talk about faith all the time because you need faith to walk every day in this world. 
Every day in this world, you are going to meet adversity. Every day in this world, you're going to meet hardship. You're going to meet inconvenience, right? We find ourselves in one problem after another from storm to storm, so to speak. And it would seem that wherever Jesus and the disciples go, there's always issues. There's always commotion and there's always change. And some people don't like change. They have their viewpoint of the world, and that's what they like. It's become consistent to them. No one wants to live crisis to crisis, but if there's one thing that I've learned in ministry is that there is always some sort of crisis going on. Always. There's always something going on in ministry. I'm always getting somebody talk to or counsel or this, and it's always a crisis, always something going on. It's part of life. Christianity sometimes becomes a roadmap to how to navigate storms. That's literally what it becomes, to have faith to what? Just get through this thing. The more God has anointed you for, by the way, the more you might have to endure. This doesn't appeal to everyone. This is why many people never fully become what God intended them to be. Gerald Brooks has a wonderful saying. He says, man, we only grow to the level of our pain threshold. Some of us never grow any past that. And, you know, we, we've, I've heard the, uh, the tales, you know, where we say, I know people have been in church for 25 years, but they've only got, what, one year growth. Because after a year, it became way too painful to have any more faith than they had. And so they just stopped growing, and they've just been living in the church, sitting on the pew. They don't win anybody to Jesus. Why? Because it's too hard, and the pain that comes from doing it is too much for them. And so they've given up. It's too hard. They'll never fully live out the gospel because of the storms that they might have to endure. They found out that a little exploration reaps little, if any, hiccups in their life. So they sit and they're stagnant in their faith. These people never grow. They're content with how little they know because where little is known, little is expected. This is why we don't read the Bible. Because if you have to keep reading it, you're going to have to be responsible for what you've read. This is why we struggle with daily Bible reading, daily prayer. If I pray a lot, I'm going to have to be responsible for intercessory. And all of a sudden, I can't just be praying about me. I need to start praying about others. Or maybe we should look at this wild, demon-possessed man because there's a lot going on just right there. And it's a lot to take in. How do we deal with spiritual warfare when we struggle just to pray for our own families? Like, God, you can't send me no crazy man. I don't know how I'm going to pray for that guy. I, saw, I remember one time feeling so defeated as I drove by a place in downtown Dallas. And at that time, we were doing a lot of street ministry. I was very young. I almost say naive in ministry. And I remember having a broken heart, looking at a man missing a limb, going, God, I want to be able to pray for a man and that limb come back. But I feel in my faith that you just can't do it. Not that you can't, but you won't. And then, God, can I accept the fact that you won't? That that might be the best thing for him is to not. And it became to be a struggle. Me, Like, this is part of it. I mean... Think about this, right? It's hard. Spiritual warfare is tough. It's intimidating. The thought of someone like this who is so desperately and yet inconveniently needs help makes us think twice about what part we have to play in telling others about the good news. Sometimes we don't want to tell anybody the good news because we know the responsibility lies on us to take them there. However, for a follower of Christ, I'm not sure you get to pick your own adventure. I'm pretty sure you conquer whatever is in front of you at any given time. You've got to roll with the punches. This is way out of your comfort zone and maybe more revealing out of your faith zone. 
As we follow Christ, our faith will be tested by storms, yes, but also by the weight of the mission. No lie. I mean, come on, man. They just got through the storm, and all of a sudden, uh, a legion of demons, they got to face a legion. I mean, this sounds like I'm making a movie. He gets out of the storm, everything goes good. What faces them on? Legions of demons. That could be the name of the movie. Right? We might just encounter demon-possessed people that are desperately waiting on a Holy Spirit believer that has been sent to deliver them personally. That could be you. That could be you. Because, by the way, the first few words of verse 21 reveal that this single man was the only reason Jesus went across the lake in the first place for. That's a sermon all by itself. Go, go read it for yourself. One of the greatest things about the story to me is always that Jesus singled this man out. Why are we going across the lake? Who cares why we're going across the lake? Just go. Storm comes up, tries to stop him. Well, no wonder, because legions of demons are about to perish. It starts to make sense why the storm rose up now, doesn't it? It starts to, I mean, you start to really start capturing the story. Jesus went to go set one man. He crossed the lake, faced the storm, so that one could be set free. The weight of the ministry we're all called into, which is the ministry of reconciliation, isn't one to be taken lightly. It's serious work. It intimidates us, and it causes many of us to sit terrified in our lives, talking a great deal about the goodness of Jesus, but not living it out, and definitely not helping others find it. Or maybe we should be focusing on the herdsmen who saw their pigs plummet to the bottom of the cliff. This crazy man who had led a life of living in graves and terrorizing everyone was now set free. But what did it cost? The price of 2,000 pigs. I don't know about you, but that seems a lot. We would say that was a small price to pay for one soul being born into the kingdom. That's easy for you to say it wasn't your pigs. Let's see you give up your business. Let's see you give up your house. Let's see you give up thousands and ten thousand, twenty thousand dollars for one person to come to Jesus. That's a hard thing, right? But it brings up a good point. How much will it cost us to do the ministry of Christ? Only what our budget will allow. If we stop short at that, are we really sacrificing anything? Is it possible that there are people that have yet to be set free because we know the cost might just be too much to bear? My personal life and business might be affected, therefore I just can't do anything to help, guys. I hope that isn't the case. The reality of reaching people is that it presents us with an eternal reality. We will all eventually die. Your stuff is going to be someone else's stuff. <laughs> You can't take anything with you to heaven except the relationships you build along the way because you get to share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. From an eternal perspective, this is simple. From an earthly perspective, this is difficult. And I'm not here to convict you to when to sacrifice and when not to, but I am called to reveal to you that what could be holding up your walk with Jesus and seeing some truly supernatural things in your life is the fact that you're halfway in and out of fear of what following Jesus might cost you. Might be too much. And all of these things we just are talking about, all of these things are distractions to the greatness of this story. Right? The story of a man. 
who once was possessed by so many demons that he was tormented into cutting himself, being chained up, and living amongst the graves of the dead, but is now made whole by the power of Jesus Christ. He is absolutely sane now. He's ready to go and live a free life, and yet what is the first thing he wants to do with his freedom? Go be with Jesus. Man, isn't that what we all want? (laughs) I hope so. And what does Jesus say? He says, no. Jesus, I just want to be with you. No. That's like a letdown. I don't know about you, but like, what? Wait a minute. What? You came all this way for me. I just want to be with you. I said, no. Let that sink in. He says, and I quote, no. Go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord's done for you and how merciful he's been. Listen, the gospel couldn't be more represented here. This is the walk of every believer. You were once blind to the things of the world. You were once deaf to the things of the world, right? You were once so neck deep struggling in sin before you met Jesus. You were as wretched as this man. He was a dead man living amongst the dead. Leonard Ravenhill once stated that God didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead men live. Aren't you one of them? If so, then the correct response is that you now wish to follow Jesus wherever he goes. But Jesus says the same thing to you. He said to this man, no, go and tell your family and tell them everything the Lord's done for you. He told the same things to the disciples this morning, and he says the same thing to you. Go and tell the world everything that the Lord has done for you. This is the good news. And listen, your story is powerful, so tell it. I don't mean on Facebook either. Don't cop out. I mean personally. Sit down with someone and then tell them about your interactions with the Lord. And I don't mean like your testimony from 20 years ago. I mean your daily interactions, things that God does in your life right now. Tell them about your daily walk. Your life is your testimony. You should have so many stories about Jesus working in and through your life that it would take a lifetime, or as the Bible would say, that if they were all to be written down, I suppose the whole world would not contain the books that would be written. Let me tell you my my little daily interaction. So some of you know this, and some of you have heard the story because I told you about it because it's funny to me maybe a little bit a little bit not so funny maybe a little too revealing a little bit for me but one of the the things that happened to me in this past week was that I I had gone deer hunting on the uh just last weekend yeah last weekend uh uh uh, I think Monday I left or Sunday night I left out I hunted first thing Monday morning uh they my brothers and dad had seen a really nice good deer man and y'all know me I'm big hunter I gotta go get the big deer and I especially like taking deer right out from underneath them because we got, we got this whole like man thing going on, you know, where we compete back and forth. And I'm sitting in the stand and an opportunity arises. The deer comes at me and, I, and you know, this, this helplessness comes over me called buck fever. And, and, and as I'm shaking in the stand, it, it scares off. It goes around me and comes into the feeder. I clearly shoot over this deer. And then I begin the rampage as texting my dad and brother of how I'm horrible. I can't do anything right. Buck fever got the best of me. My brother's pouring 
salt on the wound, you know, by saying, I guess I'll have to come up and kill it and all this other stuff, you know, and they're torturing me, right? And then the evening comes and I don't see anything. I mean, the only deer I'd seen at this point is the one I, I shot and missed. Right, And so I'm hoping I'm going to get the opportunity the next day. Next morning arises at 7.30. That deer's nowhere to be seen. 7.45, nothing. 8 o'clock, nothing. At this point, I'm texting, I'm never coming back here till the rut. This is the horrible hunt. Everything's, I mean, like, that's my attitude. is immediately horrible because I'm tired. I've been up forever, but sleeping in the stand without trying to fall. You know, that kind of thing. And, and as I'm sitting up there, and I'm, 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 I'm like upset, right? Just just upset as I'm texting. It's like almost 8.30 and, and, and our, in our game cameras, we hadn't seen anything at that time. And all of a sudden, I hear something crunching. I look over and it's a deer in the feeder. I'm, while I'm texting, there's a deer in the feeder. And when he puts his head up, I was like, oh, it's the same big deer. <laughs> and I get my opportunity, pull the bow back. I sling that arrow and get him. And he, he jumps out and he's not hit great, but he's hit, seems like good enough. And he goes like five yards and he he drops down to the ground, but he's not dead, right? And little bit by little bit, he gets up, maybe walks another five, and then lays down. And by the last time I seen him, I'd watched him up till about 10 o'clock. I was like, well, he'd only gone like 30 yards from where it actually shot. So I, I felt pretty confident. I'm just going to let him lay for about a couple hours. I'll come back. I tell you, my dad's supposed to say, he was like, hey, as soon as he heard I was up there and thought I might get a deer out from underneath him, all my brother all of a sudden was coming hunting. All of a sudden, my dad's coming hunting. When I said we have a competition, it's like they'll take off work just to make sure that I don't get a good one. I'm telling you, right? So, so, so next thing I know, my dad's like, hey, I'll be up there by noon. I said, I'll tell you what, I'll wait for you, and then we'll go look for it together. You know, he's like, awesome, man. So proud of you. Did good. You know, my dad's good. My brother's still pouring salt, you know, and, and, and that's just how it is, right? So I get out there, and this is, listen, I'm going to get to the God part. It's going to happen, okay? All right, but you have to know where my emotions was to get there. Okay, so as I'm sitting there and 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 my dad shows up at twelve, twelve, and we get out there about twelve thirty, and I was like, all right, uh, we go out there and we're we're looking, and it's not where I saw it last. There's blood there, but it's not there, and there's no more blood. And so I look, and I look, and one o'clock comes and goes, and one thirty comes and goes. Joy texting by this time is like. I haven't found it. She's like, really? Well, I prayed. Just get ready. And I'm like, whatever, you know? And I mean, like, pastor don't have no faith. You know what I'm saying? I mean, like, and I'm like, whatever, because I've been in too many situations where when it gets like this, it's going to get rough. The grass is like as high as there. So I know we're not going to see this thing laying down up underneath the tree 100 yards out. It's not going to happen. I'm going to have to be right on top of it. We're not going to see it at all. And I don't, I don't know where it's at. I can't figure out. I can kind of see where I think it might be going, but I can't tell. But 2 o'clock rolls around. 2.30 rolls around. I shot this thing at 8.30. Right? 2.45. 3 o'clock hits. By this time, I'm about 130 yards out. I'd made the last walk I was going to make, and as I was coming back, I said, listen, you can walk about 56 yards over there. We'll walk straight back, and we'll walk straight to the truck. We're done. And I said, man, I might be done bow hunting. I, I just... I'm so brokenhearted over losing it. This would have been my biggest deer ever uh, taken with a bow. And so I was like so brokenhearted. And as I'm walking back, I begin to talk to the Lord. And it, you know me, guys. I'm pretty animated. And I'm talking out loud. My dad ain't around me, so it doesn't look too crazy. Right? And I'm like, God, I just don't understand. You know, I said, I know you're trying to teach me something here. But you're going to have to forgive me, God, because I'm way too angry to learn it. I'm just being honest with God. You know, my God's honest. Like, he, he know, why hide it? He knows who I am. I said, I am way too angry to learn it right now. So you're just going to have to give me a few days. So I'm way too angry. He said, you know what I'm angry about, God? Is I know that you can make this thing appear. 
I know that you can float the axe head, God. And it's not a matter of can, God. And I'm saying this out loud. And I'm talking about as loud as I am to you. Like, I'm like so glad my dad's far away. And I'm like, God, I know you can float the axe head. And it's not a matter of can, God. It's a matter of will. So, God, I'm asking you, will you float the axe head, God? And by axe head, God, I don't want you to be funny because I'm on some ranch and some actual axe head floats up to the ground. It wasn't funny at the time. I wasn't even trying to be funny. Because the God I know would do something like that. Well, you asked it. And I said, I mean deer. I want you to float the axe head. And as I put my foot up like this, from here to that little post right there, the deer's sitting right there. And I'm so busy and so focused looking on the ground talking as I'm walking through waist-high grass. And I'm not paying attention anywhere where I'm walking. I'm not walking on any trail. And literally, I almost stepped on the deer. I mean, I came three foot from it. It's enough where I backed off 10 yards and I had to call my dad because I couldn't see him. So I called him up and I said, hey, I'm looking right at it. Go get my bow. And man, I found the deer. Now, I don't say that story to brag on the deer. I say that story to look at my God. You want to know what my daily interactions are? That's what they look like. Where I talk to God out loud. I, I, I call up the scriptures and the promises of God. And you know what? God is still God on the throne if he doesn't show me that deer. Because like I said in the beginning, God, I know you're trying to teach me something here. But I'm too angry to get it. Right? That's my daily interactions. You know, I told that story to someone else and they go, man, I'm so glad you told me that story. That's such a great story how God worked like that. And I was like, you know, it's shooting a deer. And honestly, in the big realm of things, it's meaningless to most, to maybe some. But for me, that moment is not so much about the deer. You know what I'll always remember about that deer? That story where I asked God to show it to me and God did. That's what that story will always be to me. Even as I tear up to tell you, right? Why do I tear up? Because emotionally God has moved me in such a way in that moment, right? To know what, that he is real. You can't, if you, I remember Rodney Howard Brown that came to say one time, he said, uh, if you've come to tell me Jesus ain't real, you're too late, brother. You need to move along. It's too late for me. I'm sold out 100% believe that he is alive and he listens to me. You know how wonderful it is to, to, to know that God listens, that he hears you? The God, creator of the universe, who holds all of this in his hands, would listen to my tiny little voice amongst the millions, billions. Man, that's, Jesus answered my prayer. Can I tell you what? Jesus will answer your prayers. Even the ones that seem insignificant, like taking a deer, and maybe they're only important to you. I was reminded in that moment how my wife said, whatever, I prayed, you're going to find it. And all I could think of is when that was over, it's like, man, I wish I could have been bold like her. I wish I could have been bold like her in that moment. But here's the thing. Now it's your responsibility to go tell others about the greatness of God and the good news of Jesus Christ through your story. Growing a church isn't about how many people we can get to sit in the seats or our church service. It's about how many people enter into the kingdom of heaven and how many will keep uh, from experiencing the torments of hell. We're not just bringing them into the church. We're saving them from something else. We're saving them to family. And that doesn't mean just mosaic, guys. We've said it before in here. We have a name because the law requires that we have a name. But in the end of the day, we're just the church. The same as the church that's inside the First Baptist. The same as the church that's at First Assembly. Not all the churches, the church. I hope some of you understand what I'm saying by that. But we are part of the church. 
So choose the day how you'll live. Tell your story. And reveal the glory of Christ to everyone you meet. And now, you know, when I get to tell that story now, you know that become a witnessing story, right? So I go to tell somebody about my deer hunting story, and all of a sudden it becomes a story about Jesus and how good Jesus is and how Jesus listened to my prayers. Funny how that works, right? When Jesus is in your everyday life and you're talking with Jesus in your everyday life, all of a sudden everyday life things become things which by which you can witness to. So instead of coming to you and getting the gospel preached to me like it was, like if you die today, are you going to heaven in hell or hell? right? Maybe not the most greatest approach, you know, can be for some. It worked a little pretty good actually with me at the time, you know, but I will say this, you know how awesome it is? I can walk up, hey, we're, oh, you're a hunter. Man, let me tell you this story, right? I was out there hunting just like I told you, right? And all of a sudden Jesus is all in that story, all right? And then I watch as everybody feels uncomfortable. It's not safe. <laughs> but I get to brag on God. God gets to be glorified, because I wouldn't have found that deer if I hadn't asked. I'd already done my part. I'd already looked physically. And when I first, when I finally looked spiritually is when I found it. Choose the day. How are you going to live? Come on. Choose the day. Tell your story. Tell your daily interactions, whatever they may be. But choose the day what you're going to do there. When, when you like, I just want to be with Jesus. Jesus is telling you the same thing he's telling to this man. No. <laughs> Go home. Tell your family. Right? You have Thanksgiving coming up. What an opportunity. I mean, you could do the whole go around the table, tell you what you're thankful for. That works, too, because you can be like, man, I'm so thankful this year. Man, I had these, this, and this. But Jesus was so good to me. And all of a sudden, it's about Jesus. Right? And your whole family gets to hear about Jesus. Can I tell you, I've done a lot of funerals where a lot of people go, man, I'm really not a spiritual person, but all I ever heard my grandma always talk about was Jesus. And all I ever, man, that was some of the greatest witnessing of their life. And when they're held accountable for the things that they heard in their life, one of the things will say, well, I heard the gospel every Thanksgiving or every Christmas or every time I had a birthday, anytime I talked to my grandma. Anytime, you know what I'm saying? What's your life story? Figure that part out. Figure that part out for you. Be able to talk every day about the things that God's doing to you. we got a couple of songs. We just want to worship the Lord today. And as we think about the good news of the gospel, as we think about how we're rescued and how God rescues others and how we're getting ready to go this Tuesday, as we sing these next couple of songs, I, I just want you to really like have your mind there of how we're going to have a good attitude and how we're going to love people right where they're at. We're not going to judge them because they come in some scary Jason or Freddie mask or something, whatever. All right? We're just going to love them. We're just going to love them. They're lost people that don't know Jesus. They're the demon-possessed man running out to meet, looking for an opportunity to find a better life. You know, how, you know if, if we're lucky, if we're lucky, and if God's anointing is really on us, then the smile and our attitude and our love towards them and accepting them as they are, man, that could be the, 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 the thing that changes everything.